We take this opportunity to uh, hear from God's Word and what uh, Liam is going to be talking to us about shortly. It's coming from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Well, praise be to the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, g'day everyone. I'm Liam, one of the pastors here, and it's a pleasure to be uh, with you today for our second, uh, second sermon in our Curious series. Uh, I've really enjoyed digging these questions. Um, and I just want to remind you that we do have that Q&A after. So if anything pops up during the sermon, don't feel that you need to, you know, shout it out, interrupt, interject, uh, note it down. Uh, you can ask here in person or even if you're watching on YouTube, hi guys, uh, or in here you can text it in and it will be anonymous. We won't say who texted it. You can ask any, que- well, not medical questions, but uh, questions about the, the topic or the, the passage. Uh, we'd love to have and we'll have a crack at answering those. Uh, but today, the question we've got uh, in front of us is, is a big one. Why doesn't God fix this broken world? Now, we see evidence of brokenness all around us, don't we? Uh, especially in this world. I think we see the brokenness in this world, especially in suffering. Uh, and lots of suffering is caused by people. It's caused by other people's sin or mistakes. And that suffering is relatively easy to explain. You're like, okay, that's just because people do the wrong thing. Uh, but what about the suffering that's caused by nature, the kind of suffering that's caused by just the way the world is. Uh, Big natural disasters like floods and earthquakes and famines. And you go, well, what what about that suffering? That that doesn't seem to be caused by sin. Uh, What about the uh, small things like uh, this guy, this virus, I'm not gonna try and pronounce it, uh, but this little parasite uh, it's, it's also called river blindness, and that parasite's life cycle is to bury into the eyeball of a human or an animal, uh, lay its eggs, and it usually causes blindness. And that's its, that's, its, that's its life cycle. That's how it reproduces. It causes immense suffering, immense suffering. Uh, why? <laughs> what about that suffering? Uh, a girl in the church I grew up in, uh, she was born with a condition where her back and her ribs uh, don't quite grow straight. And she's 18, 19 now, and she's had so many operations. Uh, Most recently, a couple more ribs removed completely just to give her back space to grow. She's in constant pain, and that's just how she was born. One of my mates from high school has this 
rare blood cancer. Now, he's got three kids, he can't work anymore, there's no treatment available for him in Australia, and he's just feeling hopeless. And, and if we went around, we could share many more stories like this, couldn't we? Real suffering. There is clearly something wrong, something broken with this world. Uh, that's obvious. And so the question becomes, if there is a God, as the Christian faith claims, if he is good, if he's powerful, if he's in the control, if he's wise, all things that the Bible says are true, well, surely he'd fix it. Surely, if the God of the Bible is there and powerful and wise and good and true, well, why wouldn't he fix this suffering? Why doesn't God fix this broken world? It's a question, it's not just an academic question, it's not just a thought exercise, it's deeply personal. Because if you've lived in this world, you've experienced suffering, some brokenness, and possibly even harder, you've watched others uh, you care about, others you love experience this brokenness. So we're not taking this lightly, remember that question time, but as we try and answer this, I do believe that God offers us real hope and even comfort. Uh, when we look and truly seek to hear God's answer, when we ask and we really want to know what the answer is, he does reveal in his word, word comfort and hope, even in the midst of suffering. So today as we step through, we're going to see um, that in this broken world of suffering, uh, suffering is actually a symptom, a symptom of a deeper problem. We're also going to see that uh, suffering refines us and, and that far from being a cold, distant God, impervious from suffering, uh, God himself actually suffers to save. He experiences suffering himself to give us hope. And we'll try and pull that all together at the end. So that's where we're going to head. Uh, but first of all, uh, as we ask this question, uh, why doesn't God fix this broken world? Well, the first answer we find is because it's a symptom. Now, I I'm assuming we all know the way symptoms work. Uh, symptom is a pain, it's something that comes up, it's something that is unusual or abnormal, that's not your normal experience, that's an indicator that something else is going on. Uh, one of my good friends, just last January, uh, he had a pain like a hernia. Uh, he went to see his doc thinking, okay, it's a hernia, little operation. Uh, the doctor uh, very quickly sent him to a specialist for some scans. Uh, within hours, he was in hospital uh, working out how do we uh, operate on him. He had a tumour the size of a house brick in his, in his upper thigh. I didn't realise uh, that it was there. Um, now, I've, I've had hernia pains. I've, I've had hernia operations. They're not fun. Anyone, you know, it, the, the, that pain, it's not, a, it's not a nice thing. It's the sort of thing you go, I'd rather do without that. But, you know, my, my friend, he's not, he wasn't thrilled about that pain that... that sent him to the doctor in January. I don't think he was going, woo, I've got some pain, great. He wasn't happy about that. Uh, but how much more terrible would it have been if there were no symptoms for that tumour? So the pain was bad, but how much more terrible if there'd been no pain? Uh, if, if on the surface it was fine, but under the surface there was something growing. So if we truly want to understand what this broken world why this broken world remains the way it is. When we dig into God's words for us, he shows us that the tangible brokenness in the world, the brokenness, the, the suffering that we see and hear, it's actually a gracious symptom of something deeper. It's like the pain uh, that made my friend go to the doctor and discovered that there was a bigger problem. And we find that in Romans. Uh, it'll be on the screen, Romans 8. Uh, Romans 8, 19, uh, the author Paul writes this, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. 
For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Now what Paul's making very clear here is that the world, the creation, was not created like this. It's very similar to the way it's created. Uh, It's similar to its design, but it was cursed, it was tainted. Uh, Did you notice those words there? It was subjected to frustration. It had a purpose, it had a good design, and it was frustrated, it was subjected to creation. It's now in bondage to decay. Uh, In fact, the whole creation, we've had a couple of births in the church lately, you know, it's groaning in the pains of childbirth. It's going, oh, this isn't as it should be. It's in bondage, it's frustrated. Uh, And and we see, we look around at the world, we go, "That, that sounds right, doesn't it? That feels right. It does feel like we're in bondage to decay, that the world is frustrated. Uh, It's not as it's designed to be. And that's all actually linked to the human relationship with God. That's what Paul shows us, that that the broken human relationship with God. See, this all happened first at what the, what the Bible calls the fall, when the first humans began our rebellion. When the first of us, Adam and Eve, started doing what we all end up doing, that is deciding that we want to decide what's right and wrong that I want to decide what's right for me. I don't want to live with God deciding what's right and wrong, I want to decide. That's what Adam and Eve in the garden did and that's what we all do. We say, well, I want the right to determine that. And that actually shattered our relationship with our creator and it set each individual on a path of eternal suffering and death. And that the destination of that path is what the Bible calls hell. Uh, and it's this relationship that's shattered As that was shattered, God also shattered the world. Uh, If you go back and read Genesis, when God's relationship with people was broken, he didn't just curse people, he cursed the world. It's connected. Uh, And and God brought a a taint to the world. He brought in suffering and pain. But the big surprise that we find here in Romans 8 is that it's actually a good thing. It's a good and kind thing that God brought brokenness into the world. See, I like reading a lot, and in a lot of novels, there's this uh, sort of terror of a poison that's undetectable. In the ancient world or in fantasy, if you want to, if you want to get someone really scared, you suggest that there's a poison that you can't, you can't see, you can't smell, you can't taste. It's untraceable. And it's terrifying, isn't it, if you think about that? And that's, that's what this world would be like if it was perfect. If, if the world was this perfect utopia and there was no brokenness, no pain, no suffering, it was untouched by sin, it wasn't broken, this paradise, then we'd go along our lives in peace and comfort, headed for an eternity of suffering. Now on the surface it looks fine, no pain, no suffering, but lurking underneath is something wrong. That's what it would be like if there was no brokenness in this world. With no symptoms, it'd be like an untraceable poison. But that's not what our good God does. Like the pain that alerts us to a tumour that can be operated on or a condition that can be treated, this broken world, the suffering in this world is a symptom. It proclaims that there's a deeper problem that you need to chase down, that needs treating. 
Uh, we've got a guy here at church with us um, who a few years ago, his cataracts got so bad that he was declared legally blind and he was starting to have accidents uh, around it. And it was actually through that, that uh, process of getting really very sick. Uh, his name's John. It was through that process that he realised that something was terribly wrong with this world. And in his words, uh, when we baptised him, he said, this was the way that God showed me how blind I was. He, he, he said, oh, God made me blind so that I could see I was spiritually blind. Now, since then, uh, he's had his cataracts removed. But I'll tell you what, uh, yeah, finally, his symptoms got his attention and he saw the true condition of his relationship with God. He saw that cure in Jesus. And that, that's a good thing. That was a gracious thing that God got his attention. He showed his symptoms that allowed him to diagnose the problem. See, like the strong smell of a poison in a glass, the brokenness of this world, the suffering, it's a symptom. It's a sign that points us to a deadly danger that's lurking within. And that's the first thing the Bible shows us about suffering. But perhaps you're wondering about Christians to, who suffer. Maybe you've looked at people who are Christians who follow Jesus you know, you think, well, they've already seen the symptoms. Thank you very much, Liam. You know, they've already seen the symptoms. They've diagnosed it. They've responded properly. Uh, they've seen they had a broken relationship with God. They've come to Jesus in repentance and faith. They found love and forgiveness and adoption as God's children. They're back in a relationship with God. Well, what about when they suffer? Because is suffering just a symptom of their... No, they don't have a broken relationship with God anymore. How can their... What's their suffering do? Especially when they suffer acutely or chronically. Now, back to our friend John, who became a Christian a couple of years ago. Over the last couple of years, if anything, his health has got worse. Uh, so, yeah, he had his cataracts removed. He can see a few things now, but his health has gone downhill. It's one of the reasons he's not at church today. He really struggles to get out. Uh, he's already seen the symptoms. Why send more, God? Why is he still suffering? Why doesn't God fix this broken world for John? Well, one of the reasons the Bible gives us is because this suffering in brokenness actually refines us. That is, those of us who are, are following and trusting Jesus, who've already seen the symptoms, have already come to follow Jesus. Uh, the Apostle Peter writes about this in the Bible in one of his letters, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Uh, he writes about these Christians, these people who follow Jesus. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? That sounds triumphant. That sounds amazing. He's describing Christians. Those people who've seen the symptoms, they've diagnosed the symptoms correctly, they've come to follow Jesus. But what he goes on to say in his next sentence is not that Christians are removed then from suffering, but their experience in this broken world is dramatically changed. Verse 6, next verse. Uh, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, now Peter uses an illustration here, the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, often uses about the nature of fire. 
Uh, now, fire burns, it hurts, it destroys. We live in Australia, we know what bushfires do, we know what house fires do. Uh, fire is generally a bad thing unless it's a refiner's fire. Uh, now, I'm not a metallurgicalist or whatever they are, uh, but I know the basics. You know, in the process of purifying metals, uh, you don't start with pure gold, with pure silver, with pure steel. You need to get rid of the dross, of the scum, of the impurities. And part of that process is fire. It's heating it right up to, to burn away those impurities. And that's really all you need to know about the process to understand this illustration that Peter uses. And what Peter says here in this passage is that this is what suffering does to our faith. Suffering is like the refiner's fire is to gold. Suffering is to faith what the refiner's fire is to gold. <clears throat> See, in this world, there are lots of good things uh, that we look to for hope and joy and satisfaction. And while life's going easy and well, it's just so easy to get caught up in enjoying those good things and, and forget that they're not going to last. Uh, whether it's work or health or travel or experiences or luxury or security or family, they're all good things, uh, but none of them last. None of those things will last. None of them will bring lasting satisfaction. And if we look to them for satisfaction, eventually they will fail us. And suffering, Peter says, suffering is the refiner's fire that reveals that the things of this world are fakes. They might bring you a little bit of joy, a little bit of suffering, but they won't deliver in the long run. They won't last. They're not worthy. They don't deserve our hope and trust and faith for satisfaction. And instead, suffering leaves nothing but our faith in Jesus to be the source of hope and joy. That's what Peter describes in these next verses from verse 8, that in suffering, we can tangibly experience uh, our salvation. Now, that's what he says, verse 8, though you have seen him, uh, though you've not seen him, sorry, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, the profound thing in this verse is you need to remember what came before it. That this inexpressible and glorious joy is in the midst of all kinds of trials and griefs. That's when this inexpressible and glorious joy happens. As we're going through all kinds of sufferings and trials and griefs. A couple we know in Newcastle, uh, a few years ago, they were living the dream. She was in medical school, what she'd always wanted to do. He just landed his dream job. Uh, but midway through, uh, she got sick. She got basically chronic fatigue, had to drop out of uni. He had to change jobs. He just landed his dream job. He had to quit and find a different job that was simpler so he could care for her. And, and if you talk to them now, you might expect that at best, at best they can say, oh yeah, we can see that God helped us through this. That's what you'd expect them to say, yeah, God was with us. It was really bad, but God was with us. But that's not how they talk. They, their experience of this brokenness, of this suffering is far more than that. They're, they're actually thankful for it. They're thankful that that suffering came because it refined their faith which in their eyes is better than the dream job or the medical degree. In hindsight, given the choice, no suffering, no chronic fatigue, keep the dream job, keep the medical degree, or have this suffering and the refined faith, we choose the better path, the suffering. Isn't that remarkable? 
See, what suffering did for them, it, it sharpened, it deepened, it refined their faith in Jesus. It showed them that that other stuff, uh, while good and while they were finding joy in it, uh, it wasn't the true source of satisfaction. It wouldn't last and eventually it would fail them. But faith in Jesus delivers despite the circumstances. And that's better, they said, better than the path without suffering because of that purifying of faith, because of that deepening relationship with Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian, uh, you might be thinking, you know what, that just sounds ridiculous. I, I can't believe everyone's sitting here lapping this up. This just sounds nuts. But stay with me here because as a follower of Jesus, we experience our salvation in all kinds of ways. But one of the most profound ways that you can experience your salvation, Peter writes, is experiencing joy in the midst of brokenness and suffering. You can experience salvation in good times too, but one of the most profound is experiencing joy in the midst of suffering. Because when things are great, we can have joy, but it's possible that it's a bit unclear about where that joy is coming from. Uh, so on a day when the sun's shining, all the family is there, relationships are good, you're having a good meal, you've got money in the bank, oh, and you're going, yeah, thank you, Jesus, thank you, God. These are all blessings from God. It's possible to experience real joy there, but all those joys are sort of mixed together. What is actually bringing me joy here? Is it my trust in God? Is it my faith? Or is it these other things? But in suffering, in brokenness, especially when the other joys are taken, are burned away by the refiner's fire. And you can still experience inexpressible and glorious joy. That's what Peter writes. When you're through the refiner's fire, everything else is burned away and you've still got the joy. That's a crystallizing moment. When you know that your joy that you're feeling, that you're receiving, is truly the result of faith. Because there's nothing else here that is bringing it. It is truly our salvation that we're experiencing. Now, now that is just two of the insights uh, that the Bible gives us uh, into why God hasn't fixed this broken world. Uh, that it's a gracious symptom of our deeper, deadly problem of the broken relationship with God. And that for Christians, for those already forgiven and adopted, uh, suffering refines us, it clarifies, it crystallizes our faith so that we can truly experience the joy of salvation. But maybe you're thinking, okay, God, maybe you've got good motives. Maybe God does have good motives. He, he's got a good outcome in mind for our suffering. But is this just a case of God looking down sort of impervious to pain, distant, aloof, saying something like the end justifies the means? Does it feel a little bit like that? Like God's going, okay, yeah, I'm up here. I've got a good plan at the end. So it doesn't matter what I do to get you to the end. The end justifies the means. Because when we see those we love suffering, even if there might be a good reason behind that suffering, even if there might be a good destination after that suffering, when we see those we love suffering, it's hard, isn't it? You think, well, how can these means justify the ends no matter what those ends are? Uh, how, how, can, how can God do that? It seems cold and harsh, like God doesn't understand suffering. That, that's what can come into our minds. But does God understand suffering? Well, well, that's our third point, that in the person of Jesus, we truly have a God who suffers to save us. Our God experiences suffering himself to give us hope, even in the worst of this broken world. Again, Peter writes in his letter, it's actually the very next chapter, uh, in chapter 2, 
He writes this, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Now, why are we reading this passage? What's so significant here? Well, uh, sometimes I think we can think, we can slip into thinking that Jesus coming to earth is kind of like one of those you know, Marvel movies where a divine being shows up, you know, Thor in glorious power. And because they're the good guy in the movie, they think, oh, well, I just came to visit Earth, but while I'm here, I might as well save some people. Um, And sometimes you can sort of think, well, is that kind of like Jesus? You know, the mighty, supreme, divine comes to Earth. Oh, while I'm here, I might as well save some people. That is nothing like what happened with Jesus. Yes, Jesus is God, but he did not come to Earth thinking, well, I'll see what it's like to live among these humans for a bit. And then while he was here, well... Since I'm already here, I might as well save them. That's not how it worked. Jesus came intentionally to suffer and die to save us. It was all part of the plan. Uh, See here in his letter, Peter quotes uh, from a much older part of the Bible, uh, from um, a message from God to his people given through his servant Isaiah uh, over 700 years before Peter wrote this letter, close to 800 years, uh, well, well before Jesus came to earth. And it spells out God's plan to save. It wasn't, oh, while I'm here, I'll save them. He came to save his enemies, sheep who'd wandered, who'd said, I don't want to be in your flock. They wandered away, people who'd rejected him. He came to take our place by by suffering for us, by taking the punishment that we deserve so that we might go through, be forgiven, be healed. See, when Jesus came to this world, he experienced the brokenness of humanity in every way. Uh, he, he grieved. He suffered himself humanly. He saw others, those he loved, suffering. Uh, he experienced that. He was tempted in any way. But far more than that human suffering, he took on himself the death, the eternal death, the, the deadly poison that the symptoms of brokenness in this world were pointing to. That's what was happening on the cross, not just the pain of the crucifixion, but the punishment of God poured out on him. He took it to save us. By his wounds we're healed. That's what Isaiah says. That's the plan. He planned to do that while we were still his enemies. He loved us and he entered into our suffering. He took our suffering to spare us from that suffering. Now, the brokenness of this world is a huge question, but this question of brokenness and suffering um, when we really are seeking answers from God, he really does offer hope. He really does offer comfort in the midst of brokenness and suffering that so often just seems random and pointless. And this is where we're going to land today, seeing what each of these means for us today. Uh, what does it mean for me that these, uh, what God shows us in his word? See, first, we need to see this broken world as a symptom, as a symptom and seek the cure. We need to seek the cure. See, pain, pain is not good. 
Uh, I, I've not experienced chronic ongoing pain. I haven't experienced really acute pain other than a few little things. Uh, but I know people who have. Pain, pain's not good unless it is alerting you to a tumour that needs to be removed. And then you are thankful for that pain every day because you're like, there is no way I would have found it if not for that pain, if not for that symptom. A bitter smell in your food is terrible. It's not good, but if it alerts you to a poison, you're glad for it. And this world suffering, it hurts. It really does. This world really is broken. It really is frustrated. It really is in bondage to decay, groaning. I encourage you, don't accept it. Don't just say, yep, that's the way it is. It's random, it's meaningless, just get on with life and make the most of it. What, what, a, what a hopeless way to live, that suffering is meaningless. Instead, diagnose the condition, see it, what, what it is, a symptom of our broken relationship with God and accept the cure. It's not a diagnosis with no cure, there is a cure. Forgiveness in Jesus, follow, trust, honour, worship him, find that new life. And if you've done that, if you are a Christian here today, uh, I want to encourage us to recognise the deeper reality that suffering in this broken world refines us. Because the devil will whisper lies to us. We'll believe these lies that says, you know, you're suffering, God doesn't love, love you. Or you're suffering, you've done something wrong, God's angry with you and you've done something wrong and this is your penance. Or you don't deserve to be in God's family. That's, that's, that's the lies the devil whispers. Or if, if only you do what is right, then you won't be suffering anymore. If only you do the right thing. Oh, if you were, if you were a real Christian, if you were defeating this sin, if you were honouring God, you would be suffering. They're all lies. None of them are true. Ignore them. Our faith in Jesus, it's like unrefined gold. Like a lump of gold with impurities, uh, with, with crud, with dross in it. And it needs to be purified. Gold's still there. The faith's there. But it's not pure yet. It needs to be pured by the refiner's fire. And God wants to refine it. To give us that true preciousness. And to give us the experience here and now uh, that the, the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls. That's a little, little gem buried isn't it, in there, isn't it? That we can most truly or we can really experience this we can be filled with an inexpressible and joy, glorious joy in the midst of suffering. When everything else has been burned away, there's no other joy to be found. And we can still experience that joy? That's like gold refined in fire. It's not just the silver lining to suffering. Oh, well, you suffered, but at least you got this. It's actually the better path. You'd choose it in hindsight. And third, we need to see God for who he is. Far from being cold and distant and impervious to this suffering, God suffers to save us. He experiences sufferings himself to give us hope, even in the worst of this broken world. Uh, see, it's a little bit like when someone is recommending a product that they're selling. I don't know if you've experienced this, whether it's oils or vitamins uh, maybe Tupperware or cleaning products, and someone's found something they're passionate about. They're like, oh, you, you should get this. It's the best thing ever. And what do you think? Yeah, but you're trying to sell it to me. You know, you wonder, ah, oh, is it really the best thing ever? Is your diagnosis correct? 
Uh, well, my auntie, uh, she really believes in Juice Plus. Uh, it's a, a nutritional supplement, uh, fruit and veg, all the good stuff. And she was convinced it would be great for me. She said, Liam, I reckon this would be great for you. And I was kind of interested. I even went to one of the nights, but not that interested. Anyway, over the last eight years, she signed me up to Juice Pass, but she paid our way. Every second month, we get a big box of Juice Plus and we never get a bill. Now, that's a bit different, isn't it? That's what we'd call putting your money where your mouth is. See, I, I trust that she believes, she really does believe that this is good, that this is the solution to my problem. Because she said, I believe it and I'll pay for it. I'll provide the solution to you for you at no cost. Now, Jesus says, he says, you've got a problem. You've got a massive problem, a deadly problem, a broken relationship with our creator that has us heading for eternal destruction. Jesus says that the brokenness of this world, that the pain and suffering are symptoms of that problem. That's what Jesus says. And then he puts his money where his mouth is. He offers himself his own life saying, you've got a problem and I will fix it. I will pay the price. I've got the solution and I will provide it to you. Taking not just the physical suffering, but the weight of all God's judgment, his just punishment for all human rebellion on himself. See, in Jesus, we have a God who says, you have a problem, I've got the solution and I will pay the ultimate price. I say, what, what better person to trust in this broken world than the one who puts their money where their mouth is to solve our problem. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that you are good, uh, that you are kind, that you are powerful, that you, you see the problem of our broken relationship, the result of our decision to go our own way and say that we want to decide what's right and wrong, that you see that brokenness and that you graciously give us symptoms. Uh, trying to get our attention, trying to say, go to the doctor, get the diagnosis. And we thank you that you give us the solution, you give us the cure in Jesus, that you chose to take on yourself, you plan to suffer, to take our pain, our judgment, our punishment, that we might be cured. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, any, uh, any questions, observations from what we've been discussing today? Planning. Thanks, Brad. Uh, is uh, you know the things you said like you know natural disasters? Is that sin, mm. or is that like a is, is the world? fallen, sinful, is that a result of the world being in the situation we're in? So let's, let's dig into the question first before you go anywhere. So for example, is a landslide that kills a village because people have been irresponsible and chopped down all the trees above? Or no. is, it, is that what you're asking? No, no, no. no, no. no, no. So I, mean, I don't imagine there'll be landslides in heaven, I, I don't know. Well, there'll be no people in front of them anyway, but yep. Well, I don't know. Like, Who that's, knows? Yeah, we that's haven't got the detail I mean. on like, that. Is it, 
you know, do we live, is the world itself, you know, have this, you know, it's not just, you know, people per se and us being full of sin, but we live in a fallen world. Does that mm. include the world? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Brett. I think I, think I get it. Yeah. So is, is it just the sinful people in a good world that have corrupted it or is the world itself also corrupted? For, yep. Uh, I think the world as well. And I think that, um, that, that Romans 8 passage that talks about creation has been frustrated, it's been subjected to bondage by he who subjected it, that is God. Uh, I think that's a pretty clear reference back to Genesis 3. So when Adam and Eve did rebel against God, they were, they were cursed personally, but the world was cursed too. So part of Adam's curse was, well, the, the world will, the earth will bear thorns and thistles by the, by the sweat of your back, you'll produce food. You know, before them, how good would that have been? No, no thistles in the, uh, in the crops, no weeds in the veggie garden. So that, that's, a, that's a, a part of the taint of sin that's actually, uh, the curse has gone beyond that. Uh, the relationship between animals and people were, was cursed in that way too. So I'd say, yeah, there's actually something, even if there were no people there, if there was a continent free of people, there would still be things that are broken, tainted, uh, frustrated, in bondage, subject to decay. Uh, even if that continent were free of people and therefore free of human sin, it would still be experiencing the consequences of sin and as a creation, uh, groaning, waiting for the redemption, the, the new creation, where it will be redeemed as well as, as Christians. Yeah, thanks, Brett. Laneth and then George, thank you. How do you know that your suffering comes from God? Okay, that's one. How do you know your suffering because you've done something stupid or silly? And thirdly, you're suffering because you were tempted and you've committed something that's like you've done, done something wrong. Done something wrong. Thanks, so Lynette. Three so questions in one. That was a good one. So, no. you know what I mean? Like you get confused thinking, well, I haven't done something wrong. And yet, yep. why am I suffering? Because this person did something stupid and it affected me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anyway. So. Well, I'll, I'll ask a question back to see. I, I think I understand what you're saying. So there's three possibilities, at least, of why I'm suffering. Am I suffering just because I did something wrong or stupid? Am I suffering because, what was the second one? The, as like a, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a part, of the, part of the brokenness in the world and sin, or am I suffering uh, as a sort of punishment for my sin to turn me from my sin? Yeah. Or, and the last one, the first one, you're suffering because you're following God. You're, you're suffering because you, it's a persecution. God's will yeah, God, yeah. You're you know? suffering because you love Jesus. Yep. Yeah. And, and all those we actually all those scenarios we do find in the Bible. So Hebrews 12 is another chapter we didn't go to today that actually references that uh, God sometimes uses suffering like a uh, parent, a loving parent, uh, disciplines their children to train them in the right way. Uh, but we're also told at other points that sometimes suffering comes because you've done good. It's not because you did the wrong thing. And sometimes you suffer. Well, it's just because of the way the world is. Uh, so how do you know which of those? So suffering comes on me. I go, well, have I, am I sinned? Is God trying to get my attention and say, hey, Liam, you're being a goose. Stop sinning. Is it just because I'm being a Christian and it's persecution? Or is it you know, some other reason? 
well, the short answer is we don't know, and it's really, really dangerous when we try and diagnose it, especially in others. Uh, so I, th I think it's, a, for me, I will uh, hesitantly say it is a good impulse for me when I suffer to think, hmm, is this God trying to get my attention for, for some foolishness or some sin that's in my life? It, that's, and read Hebrews 12, that's, a, that's the application of Hebrews 12. That, hey, is this my heavenly father lovingly say, hey, Liam, cut that out, it's not good for you. Um, so I've got to ask that first, but don't assume that it is. Uh, and for some of us here who maybe have a more tender conscience, you'll always assume that you've done the wrong thing and I'm suffering because I'm a bad person. That's not always the, the reason that we suffer. The Bible's very clear on that. And, so, and I would say it's, it's never okay to point to someone else and say, hey, you're suffering because you sinned or you're suffering because of this thing. We, we aren't the ones to diagnose that. It might be any of those things or even more, but often we aren't given insight into why. Uh, the book of Job is a great, very long lesson on that. Job never finds out why he suffered, uh, but he did. Uh, we know because God recorded it, but yeah, we might not be the ones that find out in this life why. Yeah. So hopefully that's a start. It's a very big question, but thanks, Lyneth. And George. Oh, my question is partly about Annette, uh, but what part does Satan play in the plan of salvation and the suffering? Whereabouts mm. would you uh, put this, his part in yeah, this plan? Yeah, where does, where does Satan or evil beings play in that? Yeah, thanks, George. Uh, again, I'd probably turn, turn us back to the book of Job. I think the book of Job in the Old Testament is one of the clearest places we get an insult, an insult, insight into uh, what's happening behind the scenes. So all we see is the surface. We see suffering or blessing or whatever it might be. Uh, we don't see what's happening behind the scenes. And in Job, we actually see Satan active in suffering. He's actively causing the suffering, but he has permission to do it. He's on a leash. He asks for permission and God says, well, I'll give you permission to do this, but not that. So Satan, in Job, is, can only do as much as God allows. Uh, so Satan, and I find that on the surface, you're like, what? You know, God allows Satan to cause suffering? But think about the, the opposite, that Satan is outside God's control. <laughs> and no, he can't do that. He's on a leash. So anything that, anything that Satan does, either in salvation or in suffering, and often they're connected, uh, is within uh, he's on a leash from God, so he can only go as far as God allows him, and he can only do it with God's permission. Um, but that's a, that's a great question. And how are we going for time, Rob, or we've got time for one more for Sue? Is the suffering going to end? In this, yeah, in this world, absolutely. Jesus is coming back. Looking forward to it. Thanks, George. Sue? I was just thinking as you're talking about Job, the suffering as with Job is not necessarily always about him. No. It's about people around him and their experiences and their responses to suffering. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah, great lesson. It, actually, Job was a righteous man again and again and again. Says Job was good. He was righteous. In all this, Job did not sin, yet he suffered horrendously. So, yeah, if you're one of those people, especially who goes, oh, I, this is my fault. I bought this on myself. This is because I'm a sinner. Yeah, not necessarily. Yeah, thanks, Sue. And Mal, thank you. Sorry, Liam. Just a quick one, or maybe. Um, but, it's, <laughs> but basically it's around this. Um, I think, thanks for the sermon and the suffering, I think um, it's really good to acknowledge that suffering is really painful, mm. really um, hard, 
Um, 2 Corinthians talk about, talks about comforting so that we can comfort others. Mm. So I guess I just wanted to touch on what the role of me as an individual Christian yeah. or the church is when we see suffering. Fantastic, Mal. Um, thank you for the question. Thank you for taking us to that passage. Uh, if I went to them all, I'd be preaching for hours, so Rob won't let me do that. Uh, but thank you. Yeah, so what's our role when we see others suffering individually and corporately as a body? Uh, the role is to act in love. Uh, so we're, we're told and we are actively transformed when we join God's family, uh, transformed from being selfish to being selfless. Uh, now, if you know me, that's a work in process, you know, progress. Is, we're not there yet, but that's part of the transformation and part of that love, especially, especially for other Christians in our family, but also for the whole world. Um, so what's our role? Yeah, it's, it's to do what we can where we can. Uh, so if there's something you can do to um, alleviate suffering, absolutely uh, do it. Uh, I, I find it helpful where God talks about being generous. He actually says, be generous according to your means. So, you know, I shouldn't beat myself up that I can't give $2 million to build a new church for someone, but I can give whatever the amount might be, so I should do that. Uh, and I think the same if you're trying to comfort someone or you're trying to alleviate suffering, care in some way. And, and we've had some good chats about this. Sometimes just time, go and spend time with them and sit and shut your mouth, Liam, and just sit with them. Um, that, that's a, that can be some of the, the things we can do. But do it to your means. Uh, I think John Piper says our, our goal is to uh, alleviate suffering, especially eternal suffering. So as Christians, we should be concerned about uh, caring for suffering people, but especially eternal suffering without minimising the human suffering. And we'll leave it there. Thanks, Rob.